This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, you're very welcome to this week's podcast, Remembering Pauline Buick. Sadly, Pauline passed away quite recently, and... While Irish Life and Laura were compiling recordings for a collection titled A Century of Change, I met Pauline at her home near Glen Bay in 2019. And from that interview, I've selected a number of sound clips. And I first asked her where she was born and where did she spend the early part of her life? I was born in Newcastle-upon-Tyne in the countryside, not far from the main city. And um, my mother ran away from her husband, my father. Turns out he's not my father. There's a big, long story there. I'm not Pauline Buick at all. I'm Pauline Massey Taylor. (laughs) A a fine, handsome man who had children, nine kids or something. My God. And I thought I was just one of two, Hazel and I. But, oh gosh... I, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but... Okay, but do, so your mother brought you up on her own? She did. She ran away from Newcastle, and um, she brought me and my sister Hazel with her because she met an Irish woman. Uh, when she ran away from her husband, uh, she met this Irish woman who said, I'm not going to turn you away. We're altering this, ho- we're turning it into a hotel proper, but I won't turn you away because it's bad luck. If you don't mind sleeping, you know, in a hotel that's not finished, come on in. So we went in, and my mother and she got talking, and it turned out that she had two children that wanted to be adopted, that needed to be adopted or fostered. Um, because their mother and father had died of TB. So my mother said, I'm free, I'm willing, to love to go. And this lady, Pat Newling, said, I will give you a farm and land uh, to live in, and so you and your two children can go over and adopt or foster these two children. We did just that. And what was your mother's uh, name? Alice May Graham, then Alice May Buick, and um, she was nicknamed Harry by this woman because, this woman, Pat Newling, because she broke something and she said, oh, you're like Pat the gardener. He always breaking things. His name is Harry. So. Oh, I see. And why was this woman so interested in helping? And, and... This woman uh, wanted somebody to mind her nephew and niece, yeah. Lucy and Michael, because she couldn't leave this hotel they were building she and her oh, husband, see. and <clears throat> she couldn't. Uh, 
go to to Ireland um, and mind them. And since my mother arrived on her doorstep, they made friends, and she thought, and so did my mother, it would be ideal. She, my mother had run away, she'd know where to go, and this woman offered a farm, and in exchange to mind these, bring up these two children. Wow. So that's exactly what, what she did. And, 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 and so from those very early days, um, your your memories of your, mm. your schooling and, and oh. all that, tell me about that. Oh my goodness. It was a two-story house, in other words, uh, two rooms downstairs, two rooms upstairs. And um, we didn't have a bathroom or anything like that. In fact, we took a shovel out and dug a sod and did your business and then covered the sod over. So that was our lavatory. Our bath was a butter barrel, which was uh, used on the the butter road to Cork. They brought the butter way over to the West Indies from here. And um, she boiled the kettle over the fire, uh, you know, one of those big black kettles, poured it into the butter barrel, and one by one, the four us four children, me, my sister Lucy and Michael, would have a bath. We used the same water. It would have been too much of a palaver to have clean water for each one. So I was the smallest. I'd be put in first because I'd be probably the cleanest as I had not. I wasn't big. <laughs> and so one by one we were put into the barrel. And it, the greatest one was, um, it was like a steam bath when she put the lid on the barrel. And then it was pitch black inside and lovely steam. And it, the barrel was placed near the fire. And we just loved our bath nights. And the first night that Lucy and Michael came to live with us, they were incredibly shy, of course, this woman, this stranger who'd adopted them. And their uncle postman had said, you be good now to Mrs. Buick, and you, 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 you'll you be good, won't you? We will, you know, they were so timid. And um, they kind of clung, clung to him for a while, and I was clinging to my mother, thinking of these new people that were coming. Um, the, the location where, where it was, yes. could you tell me? Yes, we arrived in Kenmare, and we had our lunch in the Lansdowne Hotel. And Pat Newling said, we'll hire a cab, as they called them in those days, and we'll take you to the farm, which is in Kalar East, which is about, oh, I think it's about five miles outside Kenmare, going west, actually, Kalar West. Yeah. And... Um, there was this house, two-storey, and uh, it was ours for six years um, we lived there. But that was a whole line of circumstances, so Pauline, mm. that oh. actually brought you to Ireland. Yes, because my mother's uh, perception of Ireland was that it was just flat. She had no idea about Ireland. And when she came, it was like a love affair. She absolutely absolutely adored Ireland, the mountains and everything. Yeah. yeah, she couldn't believe, for instance, Kalani uh, when they arrived off the train to Kalani and got their cab to Kenmare, you know. And, and then of went course out. it was her first time. Yes. Ever. And was she young, your mother? Yes, uh, she would have been in her 30s, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Once we got settled into the house that Pat Newling had given us for looking after the two children, um, she was so capable. We had donkeys, we had cows, we planted a garden. Uh, yes, we did have somebody come from Kenmare to do very heavy work, like digging ridges and whatnot, 
or maybe getting the cow that she'd bought at the market and bringing it to Kela. So, um, yes, she was so capable. And I remember her uh, digging and uh, growing plants and going out with brown bread, which she'd bake herself, and two huge slices and, and filling it absolutely full with all the things that were growing in the garden. She was a very good gardener, uh, loads of, you know, lettuce and whatnot, and our stream had watercress. Uh, she's a vegetarian, so she was all into this healthy food. She was way before her time. And, um, yes, and she, 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 we got on terrifically with the neighbours, Mrs Healy. Mrs Healy always wore a shawl, and um, she had two sons, and uh, they would say, they'd chat away, and she said, ah, they're always up the mountain firing farts and shooting shits, she said. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the two it. sons. Yeah. And, um, but she would wear a shawl, and uh, she would always make us children, we'd run in uh, to have, you know, cake with her or whatever, and uh, she'd always make us so happy and lovely, lovely neighbour to have. And we'd go over to watch a cow being killed. God, I'll never forget it. Um, you know, bashing it on the head between the horns and collapsing and then cutting it open when steam coming up and, oh, what a vision. <laughs> but uh, we saw life in the raw. Yes, um, you did. Yeah. And your education then, the local yes, school? Yes, the local school was Dowris. And it was about five miles. Again, I'm not very good at distances and times, yeah. but uh, this school is on a back road. Um, I, we walked to it on a back road. And I'd first walk a mile, let's say, to the Downey's house. And I would um, run, run down into there, pick up the two Downey girls. The two, we'd all go together. And then the next lot of people um, from the school, a boy who was a bit... Uh, he was a bit of a bully, I won't say his name, and uh, he used to, um, oh yes, he used to see how long we could jump on furze bushes barefoot, because we were all barefoot. Um, they, they didn't wear shoes, I didn't wear shoes, and to this day I'd rather be barefoot, and I have very strong soles to my feet as a result <laughs> of jumping on the furze bushes, but we would jump and jump and jump on furze bushes, and um, I was very good at it. Um, we'd get to the school, Dowris. We'd pass the church first. And um, I have no religion and had, had... My mother certainly didn't tell us to have no religion or have religion. It was our choice. But she had no religion, and I suppose I naturally followed. And But when we passed the church, I decided that I was very religious, and I said, we've got to bless ourselves 20 times before we go further. We've got to bow... And uh, we've got to then get down on our knees. I had all these rules for the Downey kids <laughs> to do outside the church before we could proceed. Um, then we would arrive at the school. And Miss Murphy, who contacted me a few years back and said, uh, my mother taught you. And I said to her, she was one of the most fortunate teachers that a human being could have. She completely understood that I had dyslexia in those days, and it wasn't understood by people. It wasn't even named that. It was just that I couldn't spell. And um, this teacher said, well, Pauline, since you, you, when she was teaching a spelling class, 
well, Pauline, I know you, you're not good at spelling, but maybe you would draw this class something. So up to the blackboard I was invited, as they were, to write, you know. So the writing was wiped off, and she said, now, Pauline, will you draw us a bird? So I drew a bird, and the whole class was riveted. They would really enjoyed it, which gave me huge confidence. I felt so proud of my bird. And the teacher was just marvellous. She said, that's gorgeous now. Now, Mary, will you come up and spell to or from, you know? And I went home showing off like mad about my um, bird to my mother and everybody. And and I said, and I know how to spell to and from. And my mother said, how do you spell from? And I said, T-O. <laughs> so, it was extraordinary. So that's how it happened. Yes. That's, that was your... Your introduction to to your work, your yeah, painting. it very much so. Yes, I mean, I did draw before small little kid try, drawings, like when we did have our lunch at the Lansdowne Hotel before we came out to Kela to the house. I was drawing the the wedding I'd just seen, and um, I remember the bride and the groom and the church and down it went in pencil and they're all in Cologlan or in Waterford collection that I gave. Oh, you held on to them. Yeah, my mother did. Yeah. And um, yes, it's strange. I just jump right into the future. Uh, When I was now, uh, oh, I suppose 60, my mother said, I've gone off art and it's fiddling while Rome burns. And uh, to think, she said, I collected all your work. A complete turnaround. She had thought, told me I was a genius, and uh, there was a complete turnaround. It was very hard to take. Okay. I, I don't yeah. know what happened to her. But, uh, yes, I think I'd become a parent figure, and she didn't like parent figures. She didn't like her parents much. And I was a parent of Poppy and Holly. So that wonderful, ideal bringing up a marvellous, open, wonderful woman. Uh, people just adored my mother. But childhood for you, though, was, was uh, you know, it was happy. Uh, oh, very. Such a happy but childhood. But even though you had very little. You, you oh, to... absolutely very little. I mean, we grew all our food practically, though we would go into Kenmare for, you know, bread or something. No, she made the bread. We'd go into Kenmare for bags of flour and whatnot. Mm. And um, we had, as I say, we had a horse and we had a cart and we'd bring it back. Uh, what, yeah. would, what would you do then in your spare time? Uh, you know, or did you have, as, as a young girl, Yeah. you know, did you we play could, games? Or? Yeah, well, for instance... Um, when they would be, being the youngest one of the whole bunch, um, when they would go to the bog to dig the turf, I, would, um, I wouldn't I would be old enough to stack it or stook it, as they said. I would uh, make little figurines out of the wet uh, turf. Mold. I moulded them into figures. And I would put little um, heather lips, you know, the little purple heather lips, stuck into the wet um model and um, I put in little blue flowers for the eyes etc and bog cotton white bog cotton for the hair and my mother raved as always about everything I did and we took them home and they dried they shrank quite a bit but they lasted hard as nails um, on the windowsill these little figures made of bog uh, made of 
So to have, that uh, that was being creative. Oh, was th- she that, was so encouraging yeah. mm-hmm. to all of us. My sister was a very good artist too. Mm. Uh, I think that um, I don't remember Lucy and Michael being artists, but she, knowing her, I'm sure she encouraged them to draw mm. or paint. Yeah. So your mother would have really been a mentor. Yeah, oh, very much. Who, who steered. Yeah. Yes. She would yeah. bring out what came naturally. She wouldn't try to guide, you know, if it was there, let it happen, would be more or less. <clears throat> she would say, don't bother washing up, you, you carry on drawing, you know. So yeah. she saw it happening and she let it happen, mm-hmm. you know. And she also had the attitude that if it was a fine day, that we can't waste it, let's go out and, you know. Yeah. Uh, I see. Mm. And Mrs. Murphy, the, or the, the school the, mistress. It, yes, she was, she was absolutely a wonderful teacher. Yeah. And she said to me, um, uh, you know, do you want to stay in religious classes? And I said, well, I'll build, I'll build a shop if that's all right. And she said, yeah, okay, you go out and build a shop while we do religion. So out to the wall I went, and the wood was behind me, and I would collect cones, and they would be, you know, buns or something. Actually, I my buns were, were um, horse dung. <laughs> <laughs> I had a row of balls of horse dung, you see, as buns. And she would come out, the class would rush out to my shop, and she would be the first customer that I would serve. I'd stand behind the wall, and uh, she would say, "What have you got?" And I said, "The buns are a pinnacle." <laughs> and so she would buy the buns and pretend to eat these dried horse dung. And she, it was fantastic, wonderful woman. But it's a great way, though, to uh, to express yourself and and yeah. to find that. Creativity, oh my. you know, uh, yeah. and even playing those uh, shops and yes, you yes. know, kind of dolls' houses and all of that. Oh, I tell you, it was it, it magic uh, upbringing, and ha- not having lived in—I mean, I've lived in Dublin, yes, and I do think Dublin people are very, very special, very different to Kerry people. But I think that Kerry people have an amazingly. Um, Good imagination. When I say good, I mean it kind of it's wild imagination. Mm. I mean, just the other day, a man came here with a harp that a tree had grown into the shape of. I must show you it. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah. He said to the men, um, "Come and help me cut this tree. It's not fallen properly after the thunder, after the lightning hit it, and." Um, but as they were cutting the tree, he said, "Stop! I see a harp in the tree." <laughs> and when when they when they looked, yes, it had grown into the shape of a huge harp. I see. My goodness! And he had the eye to spot it. He and, spotted it, yeah. and he's brought it here, and it's in my room down there. Oh, I see and that. I'll show you yeah, it. It's yeah. just magic altogether. So, Kerry people, what I want, why I talked about the harp is that Kerry people. They kind of bring magic with them wherever they go, like bringing this harp and leaving it here for me. And I think I must get somebody to film it or something. It's just unbelievable. And Pauline continues to talk here about the first time that she entered a formal art study class. Uh, my mother had this idea 
that she wanted me to have an education again, free uh, free school. And A.S. Neal, he, he's written books, uh, uh, Summer Hill School, and it's, um, progress- it's progressive schools, really. And um, he believed that you could choose your class. Um, you could go to the teacher that taught, you know, art, or you could go to the teacher that taught mathematics. And it did work. The the children, um, the, the classes were filled. So, you know, some people were really interested in... One particular man, he, he was interested in teaching boat building. And I chose him, of all people, <laughs> because... I knew he had plasticine uh, that he gave the bored children. So I had great lumps of plasticine and I would model what I wanted to do, not boats that he was teaching. (laughs) I would just model things. But I had the luxury of being in his classroom with all this plasticine and listening vaguely to him teaching children and drawing diagrams on how to build boats (laughs) for those that were interested. But he was the only one of the teachers that wasn't married and uh, he didn't know how to darn his socks but he would get the hole, uh, this huge hole in his socks, gather it together and wind some wool around it so it ended up like a mushroom on his toes and so he couldn't get his shoes on. So he'd walk around with these mushrooms, one on his heel and one on his toes (laughs) that he'd gathered together with them. with string or yeah. wool. No, all the time you were experimenting with yes. different ways of making things. Yes, and, yeah. yeah. No, th- there was a... I've had a huge amount of um, freedom and therefore the, my excitements were fulfilled all the way through my life, you know. Uh, I could choose things. Uh, so I've never had any inferiority complex uh, at all, even though there might be an awful lot of things to feel inferior about, because I I basically am very uneducated, really. I don't know history, and I don't know this, that, and the other. But I feel very strong in that I know um, human beings and how to uh, exist in this world and uh, how to get on, yeah. So, uh, but as for a formal education, no, I haven't had uh, the the luxury of that. But I think, I believe that if one is crammed with a whole lot of history and formal education, it may not leave enough room for this lovely freedom I had. Now, tell me, how did you meet Pat? How did you meet? Ah, he was a Trinity student and I was an art student in Kildare Street and um, I was at a party and uh, I was wearing jeans and he came comes rushing down the stairs with other students and he says uh, uh, something like I'm going to dance with the blue tail fly and I was the blue tail my bum was uh, the blue tail in um, jeans so <laughs> yes <laughs> I met him there and he was very he he's a he was a wonderful dancer in that you know he was very lithe and his arms and legs were all over the place and witty and everything I was attracted to Pat and who so, was tell me uh, Pat's background Pat was brought up in Wales uh, by an Irish man and uh, north of England north of Ireland 
North of Ireland woman. So he's Irish uh, through and through, really. And uh, but they lived in Wales in a place called Wrexham. And um, he went to Trinity College to study medicine, like his father. And uh, he then moved on to psychiatry. And uh, he worked for years, and we lived for years in Dublin, um, in St Patrick's. Mm. Uh, hospital and Pat's uh, surname was Melia. Was it love at first sight? Was it? Uh, you wouldn't exactly it, call it love, yeah. but it was certainly crack. There was no doubt about it. It was fun at first sight. Yes, and uh, they came. All those students. There would be about four or the five of them came from Trinity to this party, and um, they were, uh, you know, vibrant young men, and it was great fun. And they found out where we lived, or asked for the address, and they came around there too and took us out, you know, come on, we're going to see the Aurora Borealis, and we would go up the Dublin Mount to see the Aurora Borealis, etc. So uh, it it built up to... Were you working at this stage? Uh, I was, at this stage I would be going to the uh, art school, I was an art student, and um, yeah. Were you working part-time, or...? Yes, I worked painting artificial eyes for a man called Dr. Keyes in um, Wicklow Street. And um, there was an old lady who played the harp outside um, outside the opticians. And it was a huge harp. And she played it beautifully. And you see, well, I'd be working away painting artificial eyes. And... Uh, <laughs> That came to a blunt end because they faded, the eyes faded. Uh, he he didn't know what paints should be used. And uh, I was sent to London by him to research paints. And uh, anyway, the whole job faded away because it didn't work. I see. His, his artificial eyes. <laughs> uh, what a commissioning to get. You know? Yes, yes, it was strange. Yeah. But, yeah. but doing that, and then, um, so Dublin was your your home then? Ah, yes. yes. And where did you live in Dublin? We lived in Frankfurt Avenue. My mother was able to buy a house with the Building Society money, and uh, they lent her the money, and she rented rooms. So it had quite a few rooms in Frankfurt Avenue. Um, and so the people that she rented to were fellow art students, so I would be the person that would go into the art school and say, is there anyone wants a room, you know, yeah. my mother rents them. So we filled the house with um, art students, and that was hilarious too, because we'd have parties, and my mother didn't believe in railings, so she took the railings down from the front of the house, and the man next door said it was a disgrace, that she, she ruined the look of the road, and uh, that she should conduct the house. So my mother was very bold, and she came in and said, I'm supposed to conduct you all, she said, <laughs> pretending she was conducting an orchestra. So anyway. But it wasn't it lovely? Uh, so your mother, uh, she... You were you weren't looking at her as as a, a, an older generation. Oh gosh, no! <laughs> she was like the same age as. The, Imagine, the, the, and so yeah. she played, or she yeah played. She played. played yes, yeah, she did. She did. Talk about music. Did music yes. come into your life at all? Yeah, jazz was particularly in my life because one of uh, our friends, my mother's friend, was a teacher in London University, and he was a jazz. Uh, Man and he knew, the, I can't remember the name of the man now, McNamara, I think. 
was a jazz specialist. So he introduced my yeah. mother and myself. We yeah. lived in caravans and boats. Uh, he would visit us and he would um, bring us jazz music, wonderful jazz music. So I to this day love Jelly Roll Morton, Bessie Smith, uh, all the very old jazz people. And um, yes, I think that music, jazz music especially, featured in my life, uh, in yeah. that I would play and draw to it and whatnot. And so, Pauline, talk to me about your style mm. uh, of, of, of art. Mm-hmm. It's, it's unique. It, it's mm. special. Yeah. How how did this all come about? How well, I think I think uh, it was without influence of other artists, funnily enough, because um, I wasn't exposed by my mother particularly to other artists. Um, in fact, I think, on retrospect, she probably kept other artists away from me. You know, not them themselves, but books and things like that. So what came out was I was would be illustrating that if I had a crush on somebody, I would struggle to, to get the exact look of that person because I was so interested, you see. I think, now what colour were his eyes and what this and what that and that. Work away, it was completely personal. And all my work was so very personal that I wasn't borrowing from anybody else. I was just working out my own personal life through the work. And I think in a funny kind of way to this day, because right now I'm 84 and I have had a stroke about five years ago and it's left it's left an area in my brain which is like a sort of a big dark bowl and in this dark bowl is a mystery. And when I sit down in front of my piece of paper or my canvas or whatever or big big spaces as well out comes something that I have no pre haven't pre-thought but it's coming out of this bowl and what comes out is very interesting I, I let it come I just let whatever comes out and my hand just is sort of driven and uh, I mean, we were talking earlier about spirits and all the rest of it. I don't have any belief in, put it this way, I don't have any knowledge or I don't know whether there's anything guiding us at all. But it's as if my hand is being guided by an unknown force out of this dark bowl and out comes, interestingly enough, uh, this is hard to explain, but I did a man, woman and child and um, I realised when I'd finished, it was all to do with finding my father, you see. So uh, it wasn't conscious at all. And so that's going into the family collection because it's so major in that it, yeah. it represents my real father. So what mm. inspires you? So when what you ins- look at a blank canvas, yes. it, it, as you say, it, it, it comes out... You it just comes out. The blank canvas... I mean, uh, that bit of paper over there behind the etching, yeah. that is waiting for me to just pour something out onto it. I have no idea. And if I make a plan, 
quite often I have to make a plan because it might be a commission, you know. Uh, people ask me to do, you know, a painting of the Valencia Lighthouse, for instance. I have to work, that's a different type of work. I have to come very conscious of what I'm doing because it has to look like Valencia Lighthouse. But with that, the blank page, uh, I don't pre-think because if I did pre-think, I'd have drawn it already in my head. So I just wait till I have it in front of me and the piece mm. of crayon or chalk or whatever it is I start with, then it starts. <coughs> Not a pre-thought. I know. It's, it's, mm. it's wonderful. Mm. When um, Can you recall the very first commissioning that you got mm -hmm. as soon as you, you yeah, I can, qualified? Yeah. Mm. Yes, I was in art school and my good friend was a girl called Barry Laverty, Maura Laverty, the writer's daughter. We were the best of friends and her mother, uh, she, she said to me, what are you drawing, Pauline? I said, I'm drawing Barry, that was her, my friend's name. She was sewing and she said, oh, it's lovely what you're doing. When you're finished, will you let me buy it from you? So for five pounds, she bought uh, the picture of Barry at her sewing machine. I went out and I bought a pair of uh, boots with the five pounds. And um, from then on, for years and years, I bought something with the money that went towards my art, not, not boots. But, for instance, I'd buy some good paper or a wonderful piece of canvas or something with the five pounds more elaborate would give me but you know it would be maybe somebody else so I would sell the odd thing and I had an exhibition in a cafe called The Clog and um, uh, Dr Solomons was one of my people that came in and he said I'm not going to buy anything I'm just coming to look and he ended up buying about three <laughs> things you know it was great yeah. so yeah I, I, I used that money uh, for other art materials. And to showcase your your work mm. in those early days, mm. how did you manage to do that? Well, in cafes, you know, there was yeah. Clog, and then there was another cafe uh, along by uh, Marion Row. I can't remember the cafe's name at the moment. They gave me an exhibition. So, yes, a lot of cafes. And uh, then my first exhibition in the... Um, Dawson Gallery, Leo Smith, and he said, um, he used to, he always sent me out crying because he said, um, when he hung up my paintings, he said, well, nobody's going to tear these off the wall. And he loved saying bitchy things, you know. And I'd go out of the place swallowing my tears, you know, trying not to cry in front of him. But he gave me exhibition, and yes, people, there, were, there were certain people, including Mary Swansea, the artist who's exhibiting these days, and uh, she's dead, of course, but <clears throat> Mary Swansea wrote a lovely letter to the gallery owner about my work, and he read it out to me, and it was absolutely gorgeous. I didn't realise what a wonderful artist she was in those days. I hadn't really heard of her properly, but... Um, I'd love to have that letter because I now have grown to see how wonderful she was and she lived in the South Seas and painted where I did. You know? I see, yeah. <laughs> You've been listening to the late Pauline Buick who passed away recently. For more information, you can visit her website. That's www.irishlifeandlore.com. 
My name is Maurice O'Keefe, and thank you for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.